Welcome, welcome, welcome to another Hero Ball podcast. Today, I'm with my friend Elkin Beltry, and we're going to get right to it, Elkin. You are the man on the ground in Indianapolis. Tell me, what is going on with Paul George? We missed your last pod. Yeah, uh, sorry I couldn't make it last pod. I did enjoy the back and forth you guys had, especially breaking down a little bit of the Paul George trade. But I've been kind of just reading what local media has been saying, because oftentimes it's just interesting to see their perspective compared to national. And let's take it back a little bit back to the trade deadline. One of the biggest things or criticism of the Paul George trade has been the Pacers didn't get enough. I still don't think they got enough. But they went, they want to revisit the trade deadline and say, hey, during this time, the Celtics offered that Brooklyn pick, the 2017 pick that turned out to be the first pick. Now, here's where things get dicey. President of Operations was Larry Bird. At the time, he wasn't really looking to move Paul George. He was listening to trade offers, but he wasn't really looking. I believe in his mind, he said, hey, we can kind of keep going with this. We can bounce back. And then fast forward a little bit to draft night. Now we have Pritchard who comes up and then now he's like, okay, I want to do this thing. I want to trade it. Things start getting kind of weird. First, um, what's been coming out is that he was a little emotional about the whole thing. Still, if you remember how some of the stuff that we mentioned about him saying gut punch, gut wrenching, and all those terms, he apparently was so emotional that he wanted to get Paul George completely out of the East. In his mind, it wasn't a good trade unless he put Paul George in the West. And I understand you don't want to face him, but at the same time, I kind of question your thinking. At 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 one at what point? Do you have to say, do you know what, there's a good deal, doesn't matter if he's in this conference. But that's one thing. And he was just kind of going, saying, I couldn't, I can't put him there, I can't put him there. And it's funny how Paul George went from one small market to another small market. I found that quite interesting. And then the biggest thing right now with, with Ainge is that the Pacers never really got anything firm from the Celtics. Yeah, there were all these rumors like the Celtics were offering this, but a lot of this stuff was never – as far as substantial, there wasn't really much there. And then finally get to the back and forth. It all came down to the Celtics were willing to offer another deal for Paul George, but they wanted to wait to sign Gordon Hayward. And then Indiana wanted to go ahead and do it on ter- their timeline. So essentially Celtics had third timeline, Indiana had third timeline, and they both wanted to do it their way in Indiana and just pulled the trigger on what possibly was a worse deal with Oklahoma. And here we are today, Paul George in Oklahoma City, and us with the remnants of the Serge Ibaka trade. Yeah, I I keep thinking that it wasn't enough, right? Like Paul George is worth so much more than a, a stinky contract in Oladipo, and a, uh, a a relic style player in Sabonis. It's it's not enough, but it's the deal that was made. You know, Oladipo's from Indiana. I don't like the idea of trading for former college stars and of a of local area. But you know what? If you don't want to see him, you know, potentially four times a year, you send him west. And if you don't want him to get it completely his way, you don't send him directly to the Lakers. It, you know, not a great deal, but it's uh, just what it was. Uh-huh. And one more point to bring up. So you bring up the whole IU thing. The IU thing's important because everyone in Indiana were kind of already leaning towards that that Herb Simon, our owner, wants an IU guy to fill in the seats. One of the things is our owner is very cheap. He's often cheap, doesn't want to hit the luxury tax, which has caused him to miss out on 
bigger name players. As I spoke again, because they're cheap, that's why we're missing out, and that's why we're going for these IU players. So don't be surprised if we try to go for more of those type of IU players. But that's just another point I wanted to point out. Like here, everyone knows that for sure that you cheer for IU players. For instance, in 2013, Oladipo's rookie year, the first game was of the season was against the Magic at home. The crowd was cheering louder every time Oladipo scored than any of the Pacers starters. <laughs> that's just some food for thought. I'm not making this up. You can go back to the highlights. Every time Oladipo scored, they went crazy. That's just something to bring up. Yeah, and I joked with Richard about the Cody Zeller trade that's going to eventually happen. And I don't want that to happen because I think it's just a, it's a, a foolhardy move. But like, like you said, your owner's cheap, and it is actually possible, unfortunately. Um, Elkin, do you have anything else on this PG topic? Or are we ready to move on, uh, go move away from this hurt? I'm ready to move away. I don't feel hurt. I'm ready to move on. If anything, the Pacers are worse. It means better tickets and cheaper tickets for me. That's one way I look at it. <laughs> yes. More <laughs> games for Elkin Beltry. I love it. All right. So Elkin's not hurt by Paul George getting traded away from his favorite team. But we're going to move to a player that I was, you know, my, my spirits were dampened, so to speak. I wasn't as enthusiastic about this next move. Uh, Gordon Hayward to the Celtics. Um, I really was excited. I, I I predicted both times we talked about it that he would be coming to the Heat. I thought we had the best scenario for him specifically. He ends up going to the Celtics. Um, Elkin, your thoughts on this? Hayward moves to the uh, moves to the Celtics. Joins with Brad Stevens, Isaiah Thomas, Horford. They're, they they got to clear a little bit of money to make everything work just perfectly. Um, what do you think about the fit and the players that are going to be on the way out? I mean, one of the biggest things as far as fit, you would gladly take a player like Gordon Hayward. Honestly, I would want a player like Gordon Hayward on a really good team if he was more of my second, third option. Like if I had a superstar, bona fide superstar, maybe one superstar, two superstars on him. But one of the things he does add that the Celtics badly need is length on the perimeter. If you notice, Avery Bradley, great defender, but a little bit shorter. Isaiah Thomas, not not a good defender at all, but also super short. So he adds that dimension. And of course, another thing is you have someone else who can create their shot off the dribble. That's going to be one thing that's really going to help them out. Yeah, the roster kind of shaping up. They're, they're going to lose Olenek. Um, they already lost Amir Johnson. They lost Jonas Jarepko. I see Gerald Green's going out. James Young is going out as well. I think they still have a move with either Marcus Smart or Jay Crowder to bring in someone else. If you look at it, the roster is a little bit slim about the power forward. So they're probably going to want to bring someone else in. But honestly, when you have a chance to get a player like him, you you need to go for it. Especially if you have cap space, you have to go for it. Like you were upset with the Heat, missing out on him, I would be too. If the Pacers were had a chance with that meeting, I'll be upset. But I think it's going to work out. Will it push him past the Cavaliers? If the Cavaliers are 100% healthy, the Celtics will compete, but I don't see it pushing them over the hump. What do you think, Ethan? Yeah, same thing here. They don't have the size to compete with Cleveland. The, the thing that beats Cleveland against the Warriors is that they don't have the, the, the able bodies to run around and challenge all these shots between Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson. But against the Celtics, Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson use their size to an elite advantage, 
and they can dominate the rebound battle and really take advantage of the game. By adding Gordon Hayward, he's a guy who can slide down to the four in certain matchups. He can even slide up in theory, and you can have a really switchable lineup. Between him, Tatum, and Brown, I could see all three of those guys just shuffling between two and four in any given lineup. Now, granted, you don't want to bank your season on rookies and second-year players because those guys, they got to go through their bumps and bruises, so to speak, as they grow as players. Um, and I, I'm just not a fan of Isaiah Thomas as a whole. I think he's, I, I don't think he's a net benefit for, for the most part. He, he, I'm telling you, I was amazed many times this season that he continually wowed, but you know, he, he's not my, he's not my point guard, so to speak. And Horford, he's a solid center. And I love him in that position, not necessarily his money, but I love him at that position. I think it just comes down to, I think it's going to be smart that it gets moved to open up the extra room. Um, I see plenty of trades that have been uh, suggested. I don't know necessarily which one's the best fit. But moving smart, you have a chance to bring back a player of, that can be a role player for you. Maybe you can get a, a second, a, a backup big that can, you know, eat some rebounds. Because um, I think holding on to Crowder at this stage, is it would be a nice fit because he has, has the size to play power forward at a nearly full-time position. And um, hanging on to Rozier – unless he just has to be moved. I think he's a nice uh, backup point guard. He's got that uh, that crazy hands defense is what I like to call it. He'll get in your face a little bit and try to play great defense. I, I don't necessarily think he's that great, but he's, he's, he's got the potential to be there, and you need a backup guard if Smart's going to be the guy that gets the ax. And I think he has to be moved for the, uh, the Hayward money to completely flow through. And at the same time, too, it benefits them that that Brooklyn trade helps them get two number three picks. Because I was watching, I don't know if you got a chance to, Ethan, the Summer League game when it was Philadelphia 76 versus Celtics, and it's just Summer League, and it's pretty much, I say, I always call Summer League, it's, it's pickup ball with a bunch of guys who have elite athleticism, including some talent here and there spread out. But I was impressed by what I've seen from Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, so they do have something going. But if I were to move, a player would be Marcus Smart because, A, he does play good defense when needed, but at the same time, he can be a liability on the offensive end and not rather move him. Now, let's look at the other side of this, obviously where a team wins, a team loses, and let's focus towards the Jazz. Now, the Jazz, you're building up towards this. You're building a team around the playing style of Hayward. You're making moves. The last few years since Hayward's rookie year, you're adding players to complement him, but then he steps out. So what do you do? as jazz management moving forward. Well, they made that Rubio trade, and that was something that was supposed to help them in the retention of Gordon Hayward. A lot of people are going to probably look at this team like, all right, well, maybe is, is this a time you almost blow everything up and just keep Gobert around as your base and then try to um, acquire more talent? And in the West, you know, that actually probably isn't a terrible idea. But th- let me float this by you here as an idea. Right now you have a guy in Rubio who is a professional point guard. He's not elite, but I've always been such a fan of his passing, and I think he makes everyone around him better offensively. And he's a quality defensive player. He's lost a bit of a step in terms of lateral quickness, but he's still a quality defender. you got a 6'8 shooting guard in Rodney Hood who is incredibly versatile. I think in order to maximize this team's potential, you got to kind of move him to the three and allow either Donovan Mitchell to take some strides or get Alec Burks back healthy and have him be your starting two guard. I think that's the lineup. And then, depending on Favors' health, you go with Favors and Ingles' combination of the year 
your your fours. And I think it's still a team that can be competitive and still, you know, be in the playoffs if health if health is on their side because that's what's uh, bit them in the past and kept them from being maybe a, a little bit higher. Like they could have been just as good as the Rockets in terms of record last year if, you know, George Hill stays healthy, if if Hayward doesn't miss like 11 games or something, and if Gobert and Hay- uh, Favors weren't, you know, often injured. I, I think this is a team that can still be in the playoff hunt even in the improved West, I think it's just going to be looking at the seven, eight seed versus the four, five seed as they were last year. Um, do you have any comments on those those ideas? Honestly, yeah, I think with the team that they have structured around, they do not need to tank. Obviously, you're not going to be able to compete in the West with the talent that's around you, but you're able to at least make it. You can still bring competition to the table, and that's something that I think they can do. And I especially would start using hood more as that as that three guy because honestly burks i kind of want to see more from alex burks i mean i feel like he's been often injured he shows some flashes and they might even try to put this would be dangerous and wouldn't be smart they might even try to put x a little bit at the two but if you do that with x at the two and rubio at the one you're going to have a no shooting backcourt so that'll be the danger of doing that but i think i think they should just do that and kind of use their small four power four players Besides favor, you can almost put them, interchange them out as far as you can have Ingles play some four, play some three. You can have Joe Johnson play some four, play some three, depending on the lineups they're against, and just go with that. And let's not forget, Quinn Snyder is a really good coach. So don't be surprised if he starts switching up a little bit of the scheme since the offense doesn't need to revolve around Hayward. But if you watched their offense a lot last year, their offense, they had a lot of good sets. Their offense was based on a lot of good passing, a lot of rotation. They had players who kept the ball moving. And that's one thing that's going to matter. And especially with the bringing in Rubio, you're going to keep that. Obviously, it does suck if you're if you're Rubio. We all saw the the sad face emoji afterwards. But Ethan, what else do you want to add? Well, I just need to also mention that they have a guy named Joe Johnson who showed some incredible life in last year's postseason. So he's another option at the 3-4. The like they got a bunch of guys who are just versatile players on this roster. Axum, as a backup point guard, um, should be able to take some steps with Hayward off the floor now in terms of he'll have that many more opportunities with the ball in his hands. We talked about Burks. He, ne- he needs to get healthy to be a contributor here. But I like the idea of Mitchell. Um, being able to get a lot of minutes there if Burks is unhealthy. And in terms of um, forward, like power forward center options, like Favors is going to get all the backup minutes at center when Gobert is out. And he'll play some power forward with the new rookie, Tony Bradley, who's just a pretty a really good athlete. So this team is not done by any means. Like a lot of people are like, oh, my goodness, you lose your best player. It's over for you. Not necessarily. You said Quinn Snyder is a great coach. I absolutely agree with that. We've talked about the parallels between them and the Heat in terms of the way their teams have performed and played. If they were to go a little bit more up-tempo, I know that's not Quinn's style so far in his coaching career, but I think with Rubio, you got to let him kind of dazzle you in the fast break a little bit. I think that would greatly benefit them offensively. And when you got a guy like Gobert, I think you'll always be decent defensively. And you just got to funnel everything towards him, and things will work out for you. that's That's the end of my talks on the Jazz, if that's the end of yours, Elkin. That's definitely the end of mine. I'm ready to just start discussing a little bit more of the moves that have happened since the last podcast aired, especially another Western team 
signing an Eastern player, getting an Eastern player, former All-Star, and Paul Millsap. The Nuggets signed Paul Millsap, three-year, $90 million deal. And the crazy thing is, I know he's a little, some say he might be on the downside. I believe he's 32. He said that the Hawks didn't even offer him anything. Essentially, when they asked him, how did you make this decision? How did you go about it? He pretty much said it wasn't really that much of a decision. It was just kind of seeing who offered the best because the team he was playing for didn't offer anything. Now, where does where does he fit in the Nuggets is one of the things I'll be interested to see. I want to see – I'm excited to see him and Jokic because I think him and Jokic would be are going to be a better fit than Jokic and Fareed. Go ahead, Ethan. What do you think about that? Yeah, I love that. I love this fit. Now you have a five and a four who are both good shooters. They're not great shooters, but they're both good shooters. And most teams don't have that option. Now, even like a team like the Grizzlies who have Gasol and Jermichael Green, again, both good shooters, not, you know, like Millsap can be a great shooter. Like you think about the Hawks and he's played with, uh, when he played with uh, Horford, that was a terrifying team offensively from time to time without a great lead guard or even uh, a great small forward. Those teams were just, the maximum you could get out of those teams with Millsap and Horford being their best players. Um, this fit just, I love it. Cause then you surround them with Wilson Chandler, who's another good shooter, Jamal Murray and Harris, who are, I think plus shooters. You know, Moutier has been a disappointment, but who knows, maybe this is the year that it all kind of clicks for him and he becomes a serviceable player and you're not relying on Jameer Nelson to run your team. Not to mention um, uh, Juan, Juan Hernan Gomez, who is, who came on really nicely as a as a four, a four spacer four, and I thought play uh, Mike Malone played him a little opposition at the three, but like all those players are are coming up to be a really nice looking roster. I don't know what this does for uh, poor Mason Plumley, who the Nuggets. I don't know what they were doing in that trade, but maybe he, you bring him back on a small deal to be your backup center and rotate around, but. I really like what this team's done. It's it's something that we're going to be saying a lot about these Western Conference teams. They they all seem most teams have seemed to improve this year. That six through eight spot in the West is going to be really tight competition of a bunch of teams that would probably be three through six in the East right now. And that's one of the most interesting things I'm looking forward to. It's kind of like that that Western Conference race. In the middle, we kind of already know that the top is going to sort itself out. We know it's probably going to be Warriors, Spurs, and Rockets in, in some type of order. It's going to it's going to sort itself out, and I'm I'm more interested in the West. Unfortunately, the East doesn't have me too excited right now. I'm a little worried. I'll still follow my team. I'll watch the games. I love watching the games. But the West has me more excited right now, especially with teams making more moves. And I'm intrigued by some of the signings as well especially a team that you and I, um, we had talked a little bit on one of my, on the day in which I was flying back about the Kings. We, we both expressed that the Kings need to bring some type of veteran leadership. And here we are. The Kings signed George Hill, three years, 57 million, and Zach Randolph, two years, 24 million. So they signed veterans. But Ethan, are these the right veterans for this team? I don't think so. <laughs> I, I I don't like being um I don't like being negative. I really don't as much as uh, the listeners might might think that I am. But like Zach Randolph, I'm actually kind of down with that because the two year deal. 
Um, I believe that will be when uh, Willie Cauley-Stein will be available to – his rookie deal will be over when Zach Randolph's deal is over. So I like that parallel in terms of times. And I believe George Hill's third year isn't completely guaranteed. I don't remember the numbers, and I'd have to do some research that I don't have time to do at the moment. But George Hill is going to take a lot of possessions away from your young buck, um, De'Aaron Fox, and your 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 promising shooting guard and Buddy Heal. At least that's what the Kings owner thinks as a promising shooting guard. I just don't like the fit for those reasons. I like Randolph because I think he gives the um, guys like Scal and Papa G a chance to learn from a guy who really knows how to work inside. And as that becomes less and less of a premium in the NBA, if you can really be good at it, you can part carve out your niche because. As it becomes less uh, – as a premium, people are going to forget how to defend it, and you can probably take advantage of it. That's why I get frustrated with teams like the Timberwolves who keep adding non-shooters to a guy like Carl Anthony Towns who could just eat people alive in the post. So with Zach going there, I like the idea of him teaching some of these young guys how to play inside a little bit, who, but who also have the opportunity to be good, decent to good shooters. So that's my thoughts on those. Uh, Elkin, what are your thoughts? You saw George Hill play a lot for your Pacers. I am, George Hill's more of a combo guard. He'll definitely give you good defense. Don't expect him to create a lot of offense for others, but he'll create a lot of offense for himself, maybe pick up four assists. But that's the only issue we have. I would rather have seen them pick up a small forward instead. If you're going to pick up a veteran or a good player, uh, a player who has more years of service, pick up a small forward. Because, like you said, I want to see Darren Fox really just develop. He probably, I would say, out of this draft, he he probably has top three ceiling, one of the top three ceilings out of this draft because of his ability. Depending how he develops his tool, he can become a good passer. He can become a better shooter. The mechanics are there. And then you just kind of throw him like, hey, uh, we're going to bring in this veteran guard. And I wonder, kind of like, where is George Hill going to fit in that? Because it seems like he's going to want to start more. And then De'Aaron Fox is going to want to get some more play time. But if you're a Kings fan, don't worry. George Hill is due for a, a random injury. I don't know why, since we've had him every year. He's good to miss 15 to 20 games. So that might be the spurt. I'm just calling it right now as it is. And Zach Randolph, at least he's getting paid. And I think he'll provide some solid minutes. I don't know how much. Because he is up there. That's one thing. Zach Randolph is up there. So who knows how much he has left after the grit and grind years. But, Keens, I liked some of your offseason moves, but now they're kind of going back to the law of averages where some questionable post or I say preseason summer moves are coming back. And who knows? It might come back to bite them. And that's why we got to play the regular season. Yeah. Like my, my last thoughts on these guys is I've, I also forgot about like a, a late second round pick that the, the Kings spent on a Frank Mason, the third, who's a point guard, another guy, George Hill's taking minutes. So you don't know Frank Mason might never be a true NBA player, but you're taking the opportunity away from him. You drafted a guy last year, Malachi Richardson out of Syracuse, a, a rangy athlete. You're taking minutes away from him. Like you said, you need, they needed to go get a small forward. I don't know if I ever mentioned on the podcast, but I talked to you and Richard about them trading for Evan Turner, who is a, a pass-first small forward playing for Portland right now. And Portland probably wouldn't mind to get off of that salary. So 
that's a trade I would have liked to have seen happen if possible. I don't know if it necessarily benefits the Kings as much as it benefits Portland in that scenario, but I thought it was a move the Kings should and could make because it would have brought in a veteran guy who's played in a lot of different scenarios. He played in the losing scenario with Philly. He has the positive attitude to stick around in those things. I, I honestly think he's almost built for those kinds of um, treadmill teams trying to find their footing versus playing for a team that's trying to be a contender in Portland. I just think that was the guy, kind of guy to target. I don't know if there's any other small forwards. Like I think I'm pretty sure that uh, Tyreek Evans wanted no more parts of Sacramento, but signing a, signing George Hill is just eating minutes away from your young guys who are supposed to be the foundation of your franchise, and I think that's a bad look. Likewise, I mean, do you have you have to really let the young guys grow. Kind of just I like the model of. Philadelphia. I know some of the young guys are injured, but the guys that they sign in veterans, they're not going to take away minutes from the players that you want to get minutes. That's the key thing. You want veterans to provide leadership, but sometimes you got to get those veterans that provide leadership from the bench. Like that Mayor Johnson signing may have paid a little bit too much. He's his ankles are probably shot. His shoulders are probably dead. But the one thing he can provide everywhere he goes from Detroit to Toronto to the Celtics is He's a good guy to have in the locker room. You want to be called a veteran. But sometimes you gotta let you gotta let teams make this. Now, Kings weren't the only one to make a splash in California. I believe the Clippers decided on one of their other key free agents. As we know, they lost well, they did a sign-in trade with Houston to move Chris Paul over there to Houston, but they signed Blake Griffin back for a deal. And Ethan, you go ahead, go ahead and correct me. I know somewhere in the neighborhood about 175 million. So you're really investing a lot in a power forward. Will the investment pay off, Ethan? And if there's a drop, how much of a drop do we expect from the Clippers? I mean, the Clippers are going to drop from the four seed. I think that's a given. They're not going to be able to repeat that kind of season, even with everyone being 100% healthy. I You don't lose a, a player like Chris Paul and just keep pumping along without a, a a, a small drop off, but where I think they can still take advantage of something is the idea of Blake Griffin playing uh, a point forward, so to speak. He's got great passing ability for his size. He's still got athleticism. I think he needs to try to finish dunks more often. I see him go in with soft layups a lot and that frustrates me, but I like the idea of him having the ball in his hands. He's got a, in terms of the trade assets they brought from Houston, they got a guy in Patrick Beverly who is used to playing off ball quite a bit. That's going to be a nice fit for him as a player. You know, Austin Rivers is, is probably now better suited to play with Blake if, you know, Chris Paul's not involved because now he can be like kind of the, the catch and slash kind of guy. Like, that's probably more suited for him, even though I don't like him as a player much. That Speaking of Austin Rivers, I could see the Clippers falling all the way out of the playoffs. But if you're not trying to tank and you want to uh, retain franchise value, as I think is their main key here, it's a good move to bring him back. It doesn't like if you let if you trade Chris Paul, even regardless if you want to come back or not, and you let Blake Griffin walk, the Clippers go right back to where they were before the the Blake Griffin Chris Paul era, and that's a, a Clippers that no one in the league will ever want to play for unless they're just cashing out. So, with that in mind, I think it's smart to bring him back. Go ahead, Elkin. Tell me why I'm right or wrong. I, I just want to say, 
obviously it's a risky move, but the Clippers are probably interested in keeping those tickets as far as they want to keep selling tickets. If they were to lose Blake Griffin, I bet you attendance would just go down because even when the Clippers were winning, if you look at this stretch from 2011 until 2017, since Chris Paul or when Chris Paul was on the Clippers, they definitely ruled Los Angeles as far as pro basketball. Close, I mean, Kobe had some memorable games, but it was really the Kobe farewell tour. And unfortunately for Kobe, after that Achilles tear, that was pretty much his retirement before it started him, even though he came back. That Achilles tear was, hey, Kobe, retire. You're on a good note here with this Achilles tear. But even though these guys kept winning, you ask the Los Angeles Clippers throughout the first pitch in a Dodgers game, you're getting booze. You ask the crowd as far as how do you feel about the Clippers being swept in this team? Now, how do you think that makes Clippers people feel? The Clippers people, obviously, are like, oh, man, we don't get no support. I'm going to tell you this, though. Even though it's still Lakers town, Clippers fans are loyal. The problem is the amount of Clippers fans that are loyal are not enough to keep those seats filled. So as we move forward, I'm trying to project or I'm trying to figure out their their starting lineup going forward. You're probably going to have a combination of definitely you want to have DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin starting as far as five and four. I know they just signed Gallinari through a trade, through a sign and trade. I believe um, Jamal Crawford is one of the pieces head over to Atlanta. Mm -hmm. uh, Gallinari, the decent pickup. I'm just interested to see where they put him because it seems like the only space he can fit is at that three. My only issue with that is especially with his age, with the previous ACL injury, perimeter, because I've never seen Gallinari really have much speed on the perimeter. And that could kill you again. And then if we have Patrick Beverly as our point guard, who's your shooting guard? How are you going to round that out? And, of course, that's something we'll wait and see. And, Ethan, I don't know, what do, you, what do you see their lineup being like as far as what type of lineups will they show? They, will it be small ball? If they start DeAndre Jordan and Blake, what would they try to play or what, who would they try to put on their floor? Well, unless they add something different, I see it being – uh, Pat, Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, uh, unless he were to get moved, which I, I think he's going to stay in, in Los Angeles for now. Um, Gallo, Griffin, and DeAndre Jordan. I think that's a starting lineup. And with that, it, it kind of that that team is made to run through Blake Griffin. He's the primary ball handler. Patrick Beverly and Lou Williams, great standstill shooters, along with Gallo. DeAndre Jordan is your 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 um, rim runner there. And offensively, I think that's a team that works because even Blake Griffin is a decent shooter. He's not great, and you don't want him settling. But if he has the ball in his hands, he's less likely to settle. He's more like if he's heading towards the basket, he's more likely to continue that motion towards the basket. But then if you you know he gets stopped, he tosses it to Lou Williams. Lou Williams is a great off the ball creator for himself, not necessarily for others. Patrick Beverly has shown some flashes of being able to create for others and himself. And Gallo is a good one-on-one -on -one score just because of his length and size. So offensively, I think that's a fine starting five. But defensively, um, you got Patrick Beverly and DeAndre Jordan, which is good as a front end and a back end. But everything in the middle is not not attractive. And I, you look at some of the minimum guys they've got, like DeAndre Liggins, he's a solid defender. And uh, Sandarius Thornwell was a draft pick of theirs. He's a good defender. Um, at least he was in college. I, but there's not a whole lot of defense on this team. And Doc Rivers is supposedly a defensive coach. So 
I'd like to see how well of a coach he is. Maybe this will bring greater points to my thinking he's not such a great coach and he just rode a nice uh, trilogy to a, a finals appearance and championship. But that's me being a hater, so we probably don't need to divulge too much more into that. Um, so with that in mind, like that's how I see the Clippers going. I don't know if this is going to be good enough for a playoff spot. Blake Griffin will have to be closer to his when he was close to the top five players in the league that like coming off that San Antonio Clippers series where they won in seven and unfortunately folded against the Rockets in the next series. If he's that kind of player, they, they got a playoff spot in my mind. But if he's not, if he's anything less, they, they, they well might not have a spot. And that's my worry too. You brought up that you've hated kind of what Blake's been doing opposed to what he did in the beginning of his career, dunk it, go in the lane. He's kind of just been going in and kind of bringing in weaker type of shots, more layups. And I think that's the result directly of injuries. Oh, two things. Injuries, might as that a little bit, I'm not sure. And also, going in for so many dunks, you are bound to get hit, bound to get fouled. And I think kind of just all those things are in his mind. He's thinking about what you do. But I think that moving forward, I do want to see him do that point forward. That's something I really like to do. If you remember some of the few times in which Chris Paul got injured and he did some of the handling, Blake Griffin has that ability. But enough about the Clippers, Ethan. Are there any other teams you want to talk about or you think that we've covered the good amount that we wanted to cover today? I want to cover one last thing, and it's – it's going to be the Warriors. We, we, I, mm-hmm. I feel like we don't talk about them because they're they're just known as the best team in the league, right? But they've done two moves that I really want to speak about, and it's signing Omri Caspery to the minimum and Nick Nick Young to the $5.2 million. Was that, I don't know if they used a mid-level exception on that or what was the means of that signing. But those two signings, I like them both. I know you're less enthusiastic about one of them. Which one is that, Elkin? I'm less enthusiastic about the Nick Young signing, but I've been thinking the Warriors picked up another player that a lot of people question as far as their basketball intelligence, their ability to possibly stay on the floor playing for the Warriors, that in JaVale McGee. And honestly, he proved me a little bit wrong. He still had times in which he was the same player, but he became a serviceable player who can give you probably 15 solid minutes throughout the game where he's going to rim run, he's going to block, defend, that's what you want. And the Warriors can create that with Nick Young, I think, at the chance. But I definitely love Omri Caspi a lot better than the other side. I mean, we're talking about definitely a knockdown three-point shooter at an affordable price. And he he gives you a little bit of more tools. He's, he's efficient. Those are the type of things that you want. And oh, that's definitely a steal. No one's talking about that. The Warriors are here just rebuilding with these veterans with possibly mid-level exceptions or or veterans minimum, and they're slowly just piling up. And we got to realize all they need is those four players and probably four or five other players who can supplement them. And they're set still for years. But we'll see how long this lasts because looking into the future, there's a possibility in the next four or five years with more contracts being read up, that the Warriors can end up well over $100 million in luxury tax, possibly even hitting $200 million. Of course, if you're an owner of another team, you love that. You love the Warriors just spending. But the Warriors, at one point, they probably want to stop. But, Ethan, why do you think, though, that Nick Young would be a decent fit 
on the I look, Warriors. I look specifically at a player that played for them uh, in their first title season, which was Brandon Rush, who was a really good college player, a really good shooter, but not a whole lot else. Probably considered more of a basketball savvy player than a Nick Young. But, you know, I don't always know how much of that, like, basketball savvy or, like, Nick Young not being basketball savvy comes with just because of his antics on the floor in terms of throwing up th- double threes and he misses the shot. Like, how how much does that one clip lead to him being considered a not basketball intelligent player? With that in mind, I think if, like, he fits that Brandon Rush role, that man Matt Barnes role, or, like, even what uh the rookie, his name is just escaping me right now, Pat, Pat McCall. There we Patrick go. That's McCall. What I'm thinking of too. If if he can, if he feels like if he if McCall wasn't playing and he feels those minutes, same same concept. I think he can fill all those roles perfectly well. But and like literally, the only thing the Warriors are losing is like Ian Clark. If he feels that role, he can do that just as well. I just think it's it's such a no lose proposition aside from the money you're paying him. Like if unless like you just don't want to pay him that amount of money, that's the only lose the situation. And Omri Cassidy coming in at the minimum is ridiculous. This guy's gonna be. I wouldn't be surprised if he shoots forty eight percent from three this year, because he's gonna have every look be absolutely wide open. He's not gonna be guarded because there's so many other good options on the floor. I it <laughs> the rich get richer in this scenario with like some of these guys who are fringier players on bad teams. Because the coaches just don't use them, in my opinion. Caspi is going to be a great fit. Nick Young's going to be a good fit. I, I just think these are really two good signings. It's just going to cost some money, but that's fine when you're winning championships. Definitely, and honestly, thank you brought up a point as far as Patrick McCall and players like him or Ian Clark. I rather have these veterans come in who are proven at this point. Where if we're being serious, the window, the Warriors' window is probably four or five years because of contract situation. And if I'm doing four or five years, I might just pull just pull the trigger on, hey, let's get this guy and let's just go ahead and bring in the veteran. And that's what I think. And at the end of the day, we've talked about all these Western Conference moves. That's been one of the biggest things we've talked about. Um, we've had two major all-stars move from the East to the West. Regardless of this, I still feel like the rest of the West is still playing catch up to the Warriors. And that's what happened when you have four all NBA caliber players. This is going to happen for a bit as long as the foreseeable future. You know what? I'm still going to watch the NBA. Some people complaining that there's not enough parity, but I think the other teams are still out there and those other teams are still competing and we're still going to get a lot of good games out there. Well, I'll just reference the game me and you watched together in person last year, the Pacers and Heat. Both those teams were not great teams. Like I, I mean, I love the Miami Heat, and I, I thought we should like should have been able to get in the playoffs last year. We just missed out by a tiebreaker with the Bulls, and the Pacers were the seventh seed. So like, they throw those teams in the West, they're probably even worse. They probably don't make the playoffs, obviously. But we enjoyed that game a lot, and it was still a fun game to watch. Like people who complain about it, they're they're just worried about the results of the games. They're not worried about like the actual play that's going on the court. So, like, I don't want to sound like a, a basketball nerd or a junkie of some sort, but that's exactly what I am. I love basketball, and I can watch almost any level of basketball played as long as it's officiated and played with some flow. And at the NBA, you rarely will see a game that doesn't have solid flow. So, you know, for all the fans out there, just keep watching, man. These games are good. 
maybe league pass isn't the investment you want to make this year because you know some some games aren't worth watching but i'm telling you these national tv games this year are going to be good because there's going to be so many teams that are vying for like i said those 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 four through four through eight spots in the west that there you can't take nights off as much this year it's it's you know the rest problem might have been solved by the amount of teams that aren't going to be able to afford to rest some players. That's uh, not necessarily a bold prediction, but that's a that's a little 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 nugget to think about this upcoming season. Uh, definitely, and if anything, I think we should definitely be intrigued with all the moves that are being done this off season and all the rookies coming in. And I'm looking forward to next season. It's going to be a shame you and I won't be able to catch a game together. Because you've been in Oregon, who knows? You might come back around the time Miami visits Indiana, which wouldn't make much sense. You can watch them out there, but we'll see what happens, Ethan. And those are essentially those are my takes right now as far as the major moves that have happened. Uh, did you want to add anything else as far as takes? No, I'm I'm good to go, buddy. I've enjoyed the the conversation, and I just want to see what Miami does. I've heard we're finalizing Dion Waiters. And then that next is James Johnson, and I'm going to be hyped for the run back. But we'll cover that when it all becomes official. Definitely, definitely, for sure. Do you have a quote for the day? Uh, yes. Um, it's a quote from the great Vlade Divac. And it goes, uh, we all get heavier as we get older because there's a lot more information in our heads. Our heads way more. Take it as it is, guys. Take it as it is, but that's the great vibe, D-Vibe. Probably, possibly the greatest flopper, if not one of the top five floppers in our NBA history. His head just weighs more because his head is huge. (laughs) And with that, we say goodbye to our listeners. Love you guys. Enjoy the pod.